It's raw, it's real, it's unkempt. A podcast for founders, investors, and entrepreneurs hosted by me, Queensland's chief entrepreneur, Leanne Kemp. Look, and this week I talked to Sheila Warren, who is the head of blockchain and distributed ledger technology at the World Economic Forum. She leads the Futures Council on Blockchain and additionally is a brilliant scholar with Harvard Law School. And here's a special moment, Leanne explaining you. What is 4AR and why is it here to stay? That's right, fourth industrial revolution. Happy days. Welcome, Sheila. It's great to have you on Unkempt. I still remember the very first day I met you at the forum, the World Economic Forum, and what a stellar career. Life, impact, commercial experiences are abundant. You're a graduate, Harvard College, Harvard Law, and began your career as a Wall Street attorney before turning to philanthropy and not-for-profit sector over a decade ago. Representing banks, philanthropists, not-for-profits, you've designed and launched the NGO Source, which is a service focused on international grant making. And most recently, Vice President, Strategic Alliances, General Counsel for TechSoup. We're going to hear a little bit more about that later. Well, I can tell you right now, I know this episode has got me pumped, and certainly we're going to weave in and out of these global constructs. I do love getting my geek on around tech and particularly around blockchain. There's so much to tell Sheila and what a great moment to share so many insights with you, with our listeners. I'm not going to start with the same old question of how did you get here uh, and where are you today, but let's jump directly into now and the future. Tell us a little bit about the crystal ball moment that you have two hands on the steering wheel And you're seeing things in an entirely new time dimension than most of us do. Well, I mean, we're certainly in unprecedented times. And despite all, I think, Leanne, of the parallels people are drawing to the Spanish flu and this pandemic and that pandemic, you know, we are just in a a very different time and place than we've ever seen in human history. And and what comes out of this, I think, is going to be, uh, it's tremendously exciting on the one hand, even though we're obviously witnessing devastation uh, in several parts of the world's population. And what I think when I kind of wave around a crystal ball is what I, I, there's kind of what I, what I see and what I hope for. And so I think what I hope is that the fissures, the cracks that this is all showing us in our society, like all the things we've kind of swept under the rug, you know, the digital divide issues, wealth stratification, uh, geographic divisions, political politics driving areas like public health, you know, these kinds of things. That's all really impossible to ignore now. And what I'm, what I think we're seeing, this is true not just in my areas, but across the forum, is a, a really a willingness, I think, to tackle some of these big, big questions. So the forum, the theme of, of Davos this year is going to be the Great Reset. And that's a great reset, not just, of, you know, how we think about health, but also just how we think about systems that are not really serving uh, the broadest population that they could and really that they they should be serving. And so how do we get there? Well, there are a, a number of ways to that. But I am hopeful that we will actually see a realization of this notion of a great reset. And looking, you know, 10, 20 years into the future, we'll have a society that's much more founded on principles of equity and that is much more quick to acknowledge where inequity is, is leading to great social harm. You know, the we, the collective we of the Futures Council in the World Economic Forum, blockchain experts, um, we tackled some pretty big things this year and we've enabled transformative processes within industry. Let's talk a little bit about our recent work together, the data economy and cross-border data sharing and also 
the blockchain bill of rights. It's truly a Rosetta Stone moment in the formation of new world structures. How are you seeing this showing up? And are you seeing it as a moment where people are saying, yes, of course, we need this. Um, If not now, then why not now? Because it's clearly something, as you said, um, that we needed so long ago. But right now, those tectonic plate shifts are occurring and people are falling through the cracks. Yeah, well, I think all of us who are drawn to the blockchain space are similarly minded. You know, we were all we're all a bit radical in our sort of imagining of what decentralized systems could bring about. So for a little while, my work at the forum was a little bit, you know, trying to bridge the gap between preaching to the choir of the blockchain ecosystem. We all, yes, we all know this, but trying to normalize this technology and the changes it can bring about for, you know, bigger institutions and for incumbents who weren't necessarily as open-minded about the potential of the technology or even about discussing the problem space. So I think we've done a lot of, of great work there together with the council and the work that, that the team has done to sort of, again, socialize these notions of disremediation and decentralization and that technology, you know, can be a non-neutral actor in addressing inequity. Now, the principles themselves, Presidio principles, we call them, which are, are a, a form of blockchain bill of rights, those are output of our council, our blockchain council. And there was kind of immediate agreement by these global blockchain experts. Something like this was needed. It was warranted. This technology is, is both, you know, it, it's entering a period of relative early day maturity, but it's also new enough that we have a chance to embed some of these ethics and values into the work that's being done. And that's exactly what the Presidio Principles are designed to do. Principles is one thing, of course, and thought leadership is another. But one of my takeouts from our collective work with the World Economic Forum and seeing firsthand the mechanisms within Davos, it's both the genius and the machinery that exists with public-private engagement. Um, Governments have benefited Mm -hmm. from the skills that are brought in by the private sector and what's more, the private sector reduces the burden on public budgets. So going a step forward, when we think about making everything a people-first approach that will benefit communities, leading nations, one step closer to achieving that social contract like the Sustainable Development Goals, the success of PPPs, those public-private partnerships, they hinge on the clarity of vision amongst many stakeholders and a well-charted strategy for implementation There's no one size that fits all. Where you can share some information around just how far you've gone to transform countries. This isn't just the 1% of the 1% getting together on their private jets. There's really crystallizing moments that are let out beyond this um, principles and the Bill of Rights. It's the activation Mm -hmm. that's really quite amazing. How? Where's the secret sauce? (laughs) <laughs> well, I will I will say, you know, it, it's one of the reasons I really love my job. I think it's a unique opportunity that we have, you know, to because we are our entire basis of engagement is that we are objective and neutral. You know, we're tech agnostic. So the fact that I had the blockchain platform, data policy platforms here, we are tech agnostic, we are industry agnostic, you know. We, we reward innovation where it's occurring. We're not just beholden to the big, you know, political powers or economies where we see uh, exciting innovation happening in regulation or whatever it might be, we think it's our job to surface that and to credit it and to see if it can replicate it. So I think a great example of this, Leanne, is the work we did together, the cross-border data flows roadmap, where really we were looking at uh, the jurisdiction of Bahrain. Bahrain had some really innovative law uh, on data jurisdictions. 
And we saw that as a, as a basis for then it, that led to that exploration of that with them led to this creation of this steering committee and this multi-stakeholder global community focusing on the topic of how we need to ready countries to, for the digital economy. And as you know, that really has a people first focus. The idea there is that countries do have an obligation. I would I'd put it as strongly as that to make sure that their citizens have access to the global digital economy because that is the direction everything is trending. And to the extent that we can uh, we can lay the table or set the foundation for a country to be able to do that for its citizens, we think that's really important. And as you note, there are private sector players that have to come into that, business needs. There are, there's government policy that has to, has to guide. Uh, and there, of course, is the third sector, the civil society sector that is looking out for and protecting individual rights and other kinds of things that are quite precious and important as we move forward. It's incredible. I remember being in Davos this year, looking back at the 50-year history of the World Economic Forum and what an amazing journey, really large life and world events occurring on the timeline of the World Economic Forum. And one of them more recently has been the surfacing of not just only not-for-profits and impact-led enterprises, but social enterprises. They can sometimes be this misconception of them being sort of small niche type players, but largely when there's a crisis upon us or a turn point in the world, working locally on impact-led strategies is clearly a very important part of just the connection with society. You've worked at TechSoup um, and this is a social enterprise at an international scale. Give us a little bit more insight into those. We have a really early stage blooming of our social enterprises here in Australia and it would be great Mm -hmm. to hear from someone like you that had two hands on the steering wheel that saw it at that uh, at the very different heights. Yeah, well, TechSoup, you know, has a global network of operations, and uh, not unlike the forum, the idea is that we think globally and act locally. So, in full disclosure, I'm, I'm still on the board of TechSoup after I ceased to be a, a staff person, a general counsel, and a, and a senior exec there. Uh, I transitioned to the board, and and I think that it, it's really powerful. Uh, it's some it's, it's a reason why the forum resonated a lot with me because I'd seen that power really of creating these frameworks that are higher level. How do you engage civil society actors? How do you use civil society via social enterprise model to actually help uh, citizens in their, in their micro jurisdiction? You know, so one example I think is, is kind of undersold is that TechSoup has a huge engagement with libraries, with library systems around the world. And speaking to the United States, libraries right now in this pandemic are sources of food and shelter and information you know, uh, language translation capability for a huge proportion of the population uh, in the city of San Francisco, even. And that's true of, of most uh, places across the United States. So, so how do we leverage some of these models that libraries themselves are often a public-private partnership with private funding on them, they're government-led and run as an example, but they can provide these incredible services. When you think about libraries as an institution, people aren't really doing that. They're thinking very micro about their specific library. But when you roll it up, the same thing is actually true when you think about shelters and you think about uh, uh, social service agencies, like all of those different groups have this global uh, ability to connect and scale the work that they're doing. And that's something that TechSoup is very proud to support. Um, And again, it's not that dissimilar from the forum's approach as well. Sheila, I've always enjoyed not only the international rigor that you bring to the World Economic Forum, but also the consciousness of the connection into what is important. And that clearly is let out from your previous experiences. I'm going to give you a crystal ball right now and do with it as you wish. You can either gaze into the future and tell us what you see 
looking into 2030 or 2050, but also you could also look back in time um, and tell us what something that you tell yourself, your 15-year-old self, and give us a little bit of insight into the <laughs> moment that Sheila became the fast-rising uh, international rigger that uh, you bring to the forum. There's something in actually the matching of both, the crystal ball moment into the future and the rear vision view into the past. Yeah, well, they are very connected, uh, Leanne, because I would say if I could tell my 15-year-old self, and this is quite pressing because I do have daughters who are younger than 15, but at some point I'm going to be, I'm sure, giving them all kinds of un unwelcome advice. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a personal question on that level too. Uh, but yeah, if I could tell my 15-year-old self something, it would it would be, you know, don't overplan, right? I mean, I, before I even knew what an agile process was or human-centered design or any of these things, you know, I was acutely aware, I think, of the importance of taking into account very different perspectives. And I think my career, not unlike yours, has, has been... Um, it actually, to me, feels quite linear because all the, the leaps I've made are logical. When you kind of look at it, from a distance, it does. See, I mean, I've been on Wall Street, and I've done, you know, I've been corporate law, and I'm in emerging acquisitions, and I did philanthropy, and I did civic tech, and now I'm doing blockchain, and you know, so these things. But there was always kind of a, every move was because I followed my natural curiosity. So I guess that's the advice I give my 15 year old self: is never lose that curiosity, but just don't overplan. Don't don't think that you are forget about sunk cost and just really kind of go where what the world focus on what the world really needs. Um, and then looking ahead, I would take a similar approach. I would say, you know, what does the world really need? Well, you know, we need a great reset. And, and, and I think that the, the forum is recognizing that. I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I can help. Uh, hopefully, I can, my work and the, the work of my team and, and, and our partners like you can really help us shape what this world really should look like. I think it's important. So looking ahead, you know, frankly, it's a bit, it's a bit bleak in the short to medium term. Uh, I'm hopeful that the changes that we're making now are going to inadvertently cause a, a reversal in climate change, for example. We're certainly, you know, we're already seeing reduction in emissions because everyone's kind of stuck at home and uh, many, you know, factory outputs, these kinds of things are, are shifting. Uh, maybe we can make some of those changes permanent through codifying, you know, some of the things that we've seen and some of the behavior. Maybe it gives us a chance to, to, um, take a pause on some of the destruction that we're doing of the planet and, and rethink and plan uh, for a better way. I'm hopeful about that. It's hard for me to look ahead more than, you know, 10 years without focusing immediately on the environment, because I just think that it's such an overwhelmingly pressing issue when we think long term. But in the short to medium term, I'm hopeful that we will surface more uh, focus on, on addressing inequity, on really meeting people's needs. We're lower on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs than we've ever been. And let's kind of make sure that when we build back up, we don't just recreate the divides that are already been created and make them worse. We actually try to bring everyone, you know, to a place where a baseline standard of living is the very least that uh, someone born today can expect. I love those words. Wrapping up from my perspective, of course, we're fighting a pandemic at the moment. And who knows, with science, it's likely we'll be able to find a vaccine. But we have other pandemics that are just closely behind us. There yeah. is no vaccine for us to scientifically break through from climate to environment to social inequity. So well said, Sheila. I'm looking forward to head, hitting that button on the Great Reset. Thank you for joining, Sheila. Always, always a pleasure to chat with you. My friend, always. Now let me, Leanne, explain you. 
This week, I talk about the fourth industrial revolution or 4AR or Industry 4.0. We're in the midst of a technology revolution that is fundamentally shifting the way we live, work and relate to one another. The scale and complexity of this transformation is unlike anything we as humankind have experienced before. It's likely we won't know the full impact for generations to come. So perhaps you're sitting here right now scratching your head wondering, well, if there's four revolutions, what was the first three? The first, when we started using water and steam power to mechanise production. And the second, we used electric power to create mass production. And the third, of course, probably most known to me, is when we used electronics and information technology to automate and digitise production. And now here we are on the cusp of the fourth, which is a full digital revolution fusing together technologies that are blurring the lines between the physical, digital and the biological spheres. We're making incredible leaps and bounds and advantages in the artificial intelligence space. Robotics, Internet of Things, 3D printing, genetic engineering, quantum computing, blockchain and other technologies that until recently seemed like they were more at home in the realm of science fiction. And the fourth industrial revolution not only builds on the first three that I mentioned, but is distinctive for its speed, scope and systems impact. There are no historical precedents for the speed at which technology breakthroughs are happening today. And let's face it, even those of us who are early adopters like me and think that we can keep up with the hard-pressed innovations and be on top of it all simply cannot easily. Now, with this revolution comes boundless possibilities and great potential. We have increased processing power, storage capacity, and access to knowledge. Science itself is being disrupted today. There is the potential to create new products and services that increase efficiency across every element of our lives and our livelihoods. The potential to increase income levels, improve the quality of life, and even gain access to meaningful resources is the reason for many people to live, work, and play. Of course, there's a flip side, and history has shown us that not all knowledge and technology advances are good. In the ideal world, automation leads to humans having more time for higher concept learning, even art, and particularly economic advances. In the dystopian version, automation displaces workers completely from their job and actually creates even a greater divide and inequality increases. Already, we've seen that platforms like social media, once herald as the great connector helping people to feel part of a community no matter where they live on this planet, used now to divide and be divisive, or even used as a platform to trawl data and use it to sway the minds of voters. Now, we too have to be mindful that the spread of the 4IR, the fourth industrial revolution technology, is uneven around the world. And while Silicon Valley forges ahead, there are other cities and countries now only just welcoming the wireless capability that sits as the connective tissue behind these incredibly powerful and engaging technologies. The tech for good companies, an example like mine, is really reaching in to the inherent knowledge that we have a responsibility around impact. 
an acknowledgement that technology can go astray and that we must have the front of mind to use our knowledge, our power and our resources to advance, not merely for profit, but because we can and we will see our way in building a brighter, better, cleaner and greener future. Whether you love technology or not or would prefer to find an off-grid mountain hut like me to hibernate in, one thing that is very clear is that we cannot put the genie back in the bottle. Like it or not, 4AR, in whatever format it might be here, is accelerating connectivity, interoperability and technical leaps forward across many elementary industries. And it's right under our noses. From how we order food and to how it gets delivered to our front door. So my advice is... Get on board, become educated, commit to that lifelong process of learning and embrace tech for good to consider how your impact will be felt by others and will be measured for decades to come. Unkempt, it's hosted by me, Leanne Kemp, and produced by the Office of Queensland Chief Entrepreneur and our Mike and mates at the Content Division. Hey, you like what you hear? Well, head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more tips, why don't you visit chiefentrepreneur.qld.gov.au. Thanks for listening.